interactive video is the future and will bring with it its greatest revenue streams for brands. Hello and welcome back to Marketing Trek, the podcast for professionals with a passion for marketing and communications. God, that's awful. I don't know who wrote that. I think it was me. Anyway, I'm delighted to tell you that the podcast is far better than the intro. Last week on the show, I spoke to Carla Wentworth from Vantage Clever and Francesca Goldsmith from Salesforce about MOPS. In the episode, we learned how companies can get the most out of their data, and I got an insight into why integration is key when employing new tech. We also discussed some of the best new technologies and gave you some tips about how to employ them in your company. If you haven't already listened to it, please do go back in time and give it a listen. It was a cracker. On today's episode, we're going to be talking all about video. Now, 80% of the content on the internet is video content. And nowadays, almost everyone has access to the equipment they need to make high quality video. And most people think they know how to use it too, even me. On top of that, video content is continuing to innovate and change. On the horizon, brands and companies are going to need to begin optimizing interactive video. But what's that going to look like? And how does the professional stand out in an ever-changing and increasingly saturated video market? Well, in this episode, we're going to talk to two leading experts in the video marketing space to try and get some answers. Later in the show, we're going to be hearing from John Paul Toynton. Now, he is from award-winning interactive video production company Cloud Moves. But for the first half of the episode, I'll be speaking to Rupert Rickson, founder and managing director of Perspective Pictures. I love Perspective Pictures. It's a digital-first video production agency based in London. Now, Rupert started the business literally in his parents' shed in 2016, but he's grown it to a team of, I think, over 25 creatives now, and they make, like, first-class, digital-first video content for people like Rolls-Royce, Red Bull, uh, Lego, Deliveroo, uh, Cedars. Uh, their videos generally are entertaining, they're unique, they have complete, total standout. And we've used them, actually, for one of our own videos. Um, so, so I love their work. And I speak in this podcast to Rupert about the growth of his company, but also video, obviously. And he explains how companies should be using video right now. And I also wanted to talk to him about uh, YouTube and TikTok. Uh, now, this episode, like the rest in this season, was recorded a little while ago. And obviously, video is very fast moving. So, you know, a lot of the points that we make are still valid. But if you're listening and thinking, God, these guys have missed the picture. Well, that's probably why. Anyway, first, I wanted to learn more about the origins of Perspective Pictures and the story behind the video that made them go viral in the first place, which had Rupert in a tank squashing cars. I'm Rupert, I run Perspective Pictures. Uh, we're a digital first video production company based in East London. And we make videos for brands from big corporations like Red Bull and Deliveroo and Huel and Rolls-Royce to tiny little startups just starting out. Well, I would love to say that we had this sort of grand plan and it was all going to come together and we saw a gap in the market for this, that and the other. And I suppose we did to an extent, but really initially it was all sort of happened by accident. I just wanted to make videos with my mates and kind of work out how to do that. That sort of unintentionally what sort of threaded it together so nicely is because my genuine intent and my genuine excitement was, it sounds so cheesy, but like tell the best stories possible, work on the best stuff, make really, really cool fun 
fun stuff. And then as we went along, we realized that there was a real gap in the market, that we were having conversations with big brands that were really excited to talk to us. We then reverse engineered from there kind of what made us special and what people were interested in and why what we were doing was fresh and different. And then went from there really, and then just kind of kept building on it, kept building on it. The Tank video was definitely our glow up moment, if you like. <laughs> so before I had no idea how to consistently generate new business at all. And we were just throwing everything and anything. I'd be buying six pounds B2B marketing books off Amazon and reading about a quarter of them and then getting incredibly bored. And we did this test with Facebook ads because someone said, oh, you should try Facebook ads. So I just made like this terrible ad in the office that we spent two hours shooting and I spent probably the rest of the day editing. And it was just me speaking to camera being like, you know, this is what's different about us. This is why the industry is a little bit broken and this is why you should work with us and what you can expect for us. The video was pretty terrible considering we're a video production company and we ran as a Facebook ad and it like broke the business within like a couple of weeks I doubled our revenue and I was running the Facebook ads as well so I was getting really into the data side and really into the social side as well and I was like well imagine what we could do if we just made a good advert this would be great we should take this seriously this has real like legs to it so that was the end of the 2019 maybe and the following next year we made an ad where we just went all out and I was like right all I'm going to do is exactly the same thing I'm going to read a script of what we do and why we're different and just break it down in a really simple way so we made it really really simple the script as tangible as possible as straightforward and honest as possible but then just while I'm reading this one minute script I'm doing ridiculous things at the same time and that was like drifting in a drift car, driving a tank over a car, all sorts of just wacky things that would catch attention. And did that work better than your first video on Facebook? Yeah, much better. There's nothing crazy complex about it. I think it's about A, keeping it really simple so that you don't confuse people. Like you are begging for people's time when you're approaching them on these platforms and they have thousands of other things to do. So when you become really self-interested in the content and you make it really overly complex and you want to take them on too much of a journey and everything else, people just keep scrolling and then they have, and you've got no value out of it whatsoever. Second of all, I feel like, particularly in agency world, like it's just so much crap. Just like the words they use on their website and just everything that goes through all the content. Do your people speak like that? If I ran into your team in the pub, would they say the stuff on your site or the stuff in your videos? Would they say it like that? What is this weird pretense like we're not all just actually human beings? Why do we have to speak in this really abstract language that somehow makes us professional? It just makes absolutely no sense to me. So we'll just keep things really simple, work out what it is that's genuinely special and generally useful to your customers, speak to your customers, really understand that, and then just tell everyone about it in a really honest way. You don't have to make it sound smarter than it is because then you just confuse people. Our idea of what makes video content compelling is constantly changing, but also the platform we choose to consume it on is too. And YouTube's first real major rival for well over a decade has finally come through in the shape of TikTok. I recently discovered that TikTok has more hours of videos watched on it than YouTube. So has YouTube finally lost it? I wanted to know what Rupert thought about this. I just think, again, they're very different places. I try and show my dad TikTok and it really frightens him. <laughs> I try and show him like a meme or something that I think is really funny and he always looks at me and just goes like why is that funny that's not funny and I'm like it is it's really funny come on so they're just very different things TikTok is such low value short content set around trends but if you want to watch like a longer box documentary or as you have already like Johnny Harris he made like a 30 minute documentary about the ice cream machines in McDonald's and why they don't work and it's such a tiny thing he goes into such great depth and great detail and it's incredible it's such a brilliant like little doc and, and piece of content but it just couldn't be more different from a seven second video that's like a sound 
brand that you're really familiar with, but it's been twisted because they've made a bit of a meme out of it because it's been put in an entirely different context. That's like a totally different piece of content. And also there's always going to be those sort of ups and downs of people get really into one format and then it makes them sick of things and they crave a different thing. But yeah, I think YouTube, it's always going to have its place. Now, not only is there more content now than ever, but there's also more competition. Competition. competition for eyeballs, competition for advertising, competition for attention, competition for time. You know, and in addition to that, the tech is constantly improving. So as a result, the skills barrier for creating compelling content is increasing. So with this in mind, does low production value content still have a seat at the table? I don't know. Let's see what Rupert had to say. Yeah, certainly. It all depends on the platform and the medium. I don't think people are going to spend their whole lives watching their phones. I think cinemas and the filmic experience is going to exist for, you know, years to come. The more that barrier to entry gets lowered, the bigger influx of just crap and the more competitive it becomes and the more difficult it becomes. So yeah, on one hand, video becomes more accessible and this kind of like whole meritocracy idea comes in where the liberation of media and anyone can do it and anyone can create it, that's incredible. But at the same time, you're also making it even more competitive than it already is, even more difficult than it already is. People aren't really going to be able to be spending much more time on their phone than they already are. We're spending like, what, like seven hours a day if you're Gen Z or whatever it is. So I feel like time's not going anywhere. It's just the amount of content we have to process is getting bigger and bigger. So with that income, sort of strategy and creative and all those things, exactly the same in your analogy. Just because you have a pen and a bit of paper doesn't mean you could write a Shakespeare play. And we kind of do both. We're increasingly being asked about TikTok and we're putting it together at the moment. So we're able to deal with it on a larger scale and we have more specific processes in-house for it so we can work with more and more brands on it but basically we're going to come up with a load of ideas we're going to work it out we're going to look at trends and then we might turn up at your office with two people on an iphone we're not going to film it on a red cinema camera because it just doesn't make any sense so i think trying to shoehorn in our equipment just because we have it and it's expensive to rent a client i just don't think it's worthwhile so far today we've learned about the here and the now how to connect to your audience how to stand out why there is still a place for different forms of content with different styles and indeed different production values and different levels of production. But for my final question with Rupert, I wanted to know what it's going to be like in the future. How are people going to be using video? There's a very clear trajectory that we're on at the moment, as you say, video becoming so much more accessible to everyone, everyone sort of building their own brands and speaking a lot and it becoming more and more an easier and easier medium. When you look at TikTok, it's incredibly easy to make content that will stand up against high value content. So much so that brands have no concept or idea of how to deal with it because they're trying to apply their processes to it. But actually TikTok does brilliantly in that it has its own editing systems, it has all its own trends. Most videos are lip syncing to audio that pre-exists, which is often like a big problem with video. So the whole way the narrative and everything is structured on TikTok works so well that anyone can get involved. So I think that continually the sort of barrier to entry is going to get lower and lower and lower. But secondarily, like I think it's just going to get more and more and more hyper-personal. When it comes to the last phase of purchasing something, so the initial phase of the awareness piece, it doesn't matter so much. But when it comes to overcoming those hygiene points or pushing someone to purchase something, they're much more likely to purchase from someone that sounds like them, looks like them, speaks to them in their sort of language, like feels like a friend. It's like that kind of final trust point. So surely we're going to have deep fake AI generated adverts that speak to us directly with and look like our great grandmother who passed away but she's selling us biscuits now I just feel like surely that's where it's going to be going so I think it's all going to be like super hyper personal and then the barrier to entry to create videos is just going to get lower and lower and lower and who knows maybe we're all going to live in our VR headsets and Mark Zuckerberg's going to watch where our eyes go I don't know well thank you Rupert for your brilliant insights into video I genuinely appreciate you spending time here because I know how busy you guys are so thanks very much Rupert and I will speak to you again sometime soon.
This is just a reminder, you're listening to Marketing Trek, powered by Selby Anderson. You can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Dom Hawes. Please do come and connect to me. Please don't try and sell something to me on the first message you send me. But I love to hear from listeners. So please do connect Dom Hawes uh, at Selby Anderson. I am on LinkedIn. My next guest on the podcast today is John Paul Toynton, Chief Executive Officer of Cloud Moves. Now, Cloud Moves, in my opinion, is one of the pioneers of interactive video. And I believe at least a couple of our agencies have done a great deal of work with them. They're an amazing company, and, and John Paul particularly, he's so passionate about his subject, he's constantly, constantly pushing boundaries. And Cloud Moves believe interactive is most definitely the future, and it holds incredible promise. Increasing cut-through, increasing viewer engagement, increased retention. They believe it's the next step in evolving conversion rates for sales and marketing, and it could completely redefine employee training. But first, let's learn more about Cloud Moves and interactive video. So I'm uh, John Paul Toynton. I'm the director and CEO of Cloud Moves TV. We specialise in interactive video. Interactive video is the future and will bring with it its greatest revenue streams for brands and filmmakers. One of the examples, which is, if you can imagine watching the latest Bond movie and in a single click or by pressing the red button, you can overlay the film with a choice of hotspots that provide you with information or purchasing options. Information mode will allow you to view bios of actors, stats, locations, data, and then you've got shoppable video, which if you want to choose the watch that James Bond is wearing, you can click on the watch. A product card will come up, a bit of information about the watch, but also there'll be a button there where you can click to purchase. The bit that I'd be waiting to see, especially if I was making the Bond film, would be for someone to click on the Aston Martin and buy that online. And on top of the viewer experience with an interactive video or interactive film the filmmakers get the analytics as well so you can see what people have clicked on what they've watched which will enhance the experience because you can decide in the future what things to do so if you create merchandise for example for a film you don't know until the end what's been successful or what's left on the shelf this way you can actually predict in the same way shazam and see which is going to be a number one record within the first few minutes of the launch of a record from shazam because they can forward project you can do exactly the same with your merchandise from somebody watching the film so it enables the filmmakers to use the analytics to their advantage and it could be that people don't want to buy anything they just want the information so they want more information that could be the, the monaco hotel that he's staying at they could have an advert there so there's so many things that you can wrap around the film the analytics will give you that so that to me is the future i think all video will be interactive within a certain time frame wow that's a really powerful statement that all video will eventually be interactive I think for many people listening to this, it's probably hard to imagine what that's actually going to look like and kind of how that's going to change the end user experience. But perhaps more importantly, how is that going to involve storytelling from a business perspective through things like decision trees and threading? Let's hear what John had to say when I spoke to him. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. I remember it's probably about 10 years ago before I even heard of interactive video. I thought it'd be really good 
at the end of a film to be able to choose, do I want a happy ending for this film or do I want a shock ending or do I want it to continue or something along those lines? Interactive video can give you choices so you can make your own choices and choose what you want to see in a film. Now, in its simplest form, you could choose whether you want a happy ending or whether you want this dramatic ending or something along those lines. But if you've got the budget, you can actually change the course of the film. So a particular storyline, somebody might want to follow more. If you've got a particular character in there, you might actually, I want to concentrate more on his involvement or her involvement in this film rather than just watching what's been prescribed to me. Now, that way you're matching the audience's desire and engagement with what they want to see. And in a business context, that might be role-based. So a CFO is going to want to see and hear different things than a COO or a CMO. So one corporate video might be able to address multiple markets. Uh, that's exactly right. So we actually do create videos like that. So the point of entry can be based on persona. So CFO, sales, marketing, even technical. So it depends on who's watching that video. That's one aspect. But it can be country specific as well because some large enterprises do not have the same propositions in certain countries because of rules and regulations or it's just not popular. So something along those lines where the viewer can choose based on geographic territory, not just persona, but also it could be the challenges that you face because different companies or different solutions have different challenges. So if you're watching that video, you don't want to watch all of it. You want to watch the bit that's just relevant to you. So branching off in those points that just reduces the amount of time you watch of the video, but increases increases the impact of that video. So all in all, it could be an hours long video. You might only watch three minutes, but those three minutes enable you to make a decision. So when we talk about branching, you've got your first engagement. So you watch a video. If someone clicks then to follow a storyline, their engagement's going to be dropping slightly. So let's just as a basic example, you've got a three minute video, you then have a branch point, that branch point should not be any longer than two minutes. And if that has something else within that that takes you to the next scene, that shouldn't be more than one minute. And they would go down and down and down because the further you get in, the shorter those scenes need to be because the attention span is going to be reduced. And we track it back to YouTube stats, which are the best ones to up because they got the sheer mass. 80% of the people who start watching a video aren't watching it at the end. 10% fall off within the first five seconds. Now, long videos do work in what we call help contents, which I'll come to a bit later. But if people want information, they're willing to watch it. And I was looking at, um, actually, it was an accounting software package. I just want to learn how, how I can do this. And there was no one available, so I just went on YouTube and watched it. And I watched it for 20 minutes. If you'd tell me, would you watch a YouTube video for 20 minutes that wasn't a film, you'd say no. But because it's information, you will watch because it's helping me solve a problem. So that's what we call help content. But what buyers want in the beginning is hero content. Okay. And that's the wow. And that's not just for video, that's psychological. So you can do the research online. It says 80% of that decision that people make is based on that first impression. They then spend the rest of their time justifying why they want this. So with me, I want to explain to my wife, why do I want a £12,000 mountain bike when she seems to go down the road for 500 quid? I'm like, wow, I just love this bike. And I'm thinking about all these reasons now why I shouldn't be buying it. But most decisions come back to that first impression. If you like it in the beginning, you're probably going to go with it. But the help content is that stuff that gives you all the information as to why this is a good idea. There are so many options now for creating content. You can use a high quality DSLR. You can even just use your phone camera. You can record in 1080p or 4K. So with so many choices and decisions to make, how do we go forward when creating videos? What are the best devices to create different kinds of video content? And how does the platform you're planning to post it on have a bearing on what kind of kit you use? 
I really wanted to get John's thoughts on this. So I asked him and, well, this is what he said. Yeah, so I've got a director of photography, which he's quite happy to spend 100 grand on a camera. And then I'll give him a task to use a GoPro because I can't put the 100 grand camera underwater. So let's just look at an iPhone or even the Samsung, the high quality Samsung. When you come into London, you've got the billboards. Some of those have been filmed on an iPhone. So it's not the device, it's the skill of the person that's, that's using it. So that's one thing. So if you spend money on skilled people or a skilled company that has skilled people, then it doesn't really matter about the device. But if you are starting out in video, don't invest loads of money in camera kit. If you're just starting out, you can, if you want to self-shoot, then just do the stuff yourself from an iPhone or from any mobile device. That's the first thing. Well, you could look at what's the output. So the bigger the screen, the HD quality or 4K quality of an iPhone won't expand to a screen that's like a meter high or something along those lines. So you've got to look at what's the output for that. So look at where this is going to be viewed and choose the device. So iPhone, if you're just getting started and you've, you just want to do something at low cost just to get a feel for that. But remember, you still need a whole heap of experience to make your videos work. If you look at formats, so the format should dictate the device you film it on rather than the other way around. So if you want to put something on um, Instagram, vertical videos are the, are the best for Instagram or Square, because you can use Square on Instagram, you can use them on LinkedIn. LinkedIn justifies to the width. So as long as you can make your square video, you've got more chance of looking at your post and it'd be moving as well. So square videos for most of social media tend to be the best. In terms of kit, it's how much money you've got. But don't put good kit in the hands of people who aren't qualified to use it because the output won't be there. You're better off spending your money on the right people and they can get the best out of whatever kit's there. I just think that if you're skilled at filmmaking, you can use any device. You can't expect your employees or your video marketing team to be a specialist at everything. And if you do, they're going to be weak because they won't have the time or they're going to get overwhelmed. Now, throughout this episode, we've learned how widespread video content is. It's the dominant way we consume entertainment. But you could also argue, if everyone is doing the same thing, that's more reason for you to do something unique. So I wanted to ask John two final questions. Firstly, if everyone else is doing it, is video all that important? And secondly, what kind of advice would he give to businesses and professionals who want to create the very best content possible? Video does dominate the internet. If you take the whole internet combined, all the traffic on the internet, video is four times as much as everything else that's on the internet. So it's 80% of the traffic of the internet. So that's created two things. It's created opportunity for, for lots of different people in lots of different roles. But if we stick to, to marketing, which was what one of the brands want to do. So there's two aspects to that. So you get a marketeer that's now got a line item with a monetary value associated to it and thinking, wow, I'm going to spend this on video. And they're just really motivated to do that. And then you get the other person that's like, I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. And anxiety kind of sits in and they kind of sit there not knowing what to do, a bit like rabbit in the headlights. So they've got this thing and then the pressure builds up to get the videos. And the more they don't do it, the bigger the pressure becomes. So they're in a big overwhelmed and having lots of indecision because they just don't know what to do. So I've got some advice for those people. Uh, just four points here. First of all, don't put pressure on a single video. Your video should do one thing. Don't ask it to do more. So if you ask it to do more, you're going to lengthen the video. And we know what happens when you lengthen the video. People aren't going to be watching it at the end. So don't put pressure on a single video. And if you're employing people, don't rely on a single video maker to make everything. 
because that's not going to work either because you can't be a master of all trades and there's lots to make in video and there's lots of different ways. 50% of enterprises use in-house, they outsource the rest. The outsource content tends to be the more specialized content, the stuff they can't make in-house. But if you are going to hire somebody in-house, you've got to set your expectations. Even a highly talented videographer can only produce so much and they are a videographer. So to define a videographer, that's a self-shooter. So they create the shot list, they shoot it, and they edit it and they give you the finished product. So you give them a brief and they go and produce the end result. There are seven different skill sets within that. And if you're expecting this person to be the best at all of them, then there aren't going to be very many of those people around. So what you really need is a passionate, multi-skilled video production team, which has got a producer, a creative, a scriptwriter, director of photography, an editor, let alone multiple teams doing the same, but based on different categories and audience. So we've got a specialist for Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. We've got a specialist for web. Does that make sense? So you've got all these different teams. You can't expect it all from one person. If you do, then your content won't be successful. So the money that you save by not outsourcing to specialists, you're not going to get back in revenue because your ROI will be reduced. I know lots of people try to do all these things out, and the bigger the enterprise, the more they want to do. But the question I'm going to ask you is, do you want to make video or do you want to sell your product? If you want to sell product, concentrate on that and use professional people to make your video. Third point is do create something because if you stand there and do nothing, your competitors are going to do something and you'll be left behind. Now, it's not saying any content is good content because that's not necessarily true. We do see a lot of video for video's sake, but there's a difference between getting one video out there than publishing 15 videos that are just low quality with no thought or, or process to them. So there is a lot of video for video's sake, which is uh, driving ROI throughout the windows. There's no ROI on that associated with it. And if there is, it's chance. It's not replicable. So you can't put your money behind that. And then just one thing, if you are creating video for yourself, the more time you spend on pre-production, the less time you'll spend in post-production. So get your idea, your vision right, how you're going to shoot it and visualized before you go out to, to shoot or, or, or make content. But do something, even if it's light touch, just get out there and then start to work with what works and what doesn't work. The benefit with video, whether it's interactive or not, you are supplied with data. So you can look at the data, look at the dropout rates, are people engaged, and just look at the end results. So we had this video, 90% of the people don't watch it, and they didn't watch the video at all. They watched the first second and they popped off. However, we made 100 million quid off the back of this, so the people that did watch it actually bought something. So. You know, look at the data, see what it gives you. So get out there and do something. My advice to people who are scared to turn the water is press play, press the button. If you don't, somebody else will. So the winners there will be the brands who adopt a video first marketing strategy. They're going to win. Now, what does that mean? Basically, if you can imagine every single touch point of a process, whether that's sales, training, education, whatever it is that you're creating content for, in this case, we're talking about brands. So every single touch point, you should have a video that's there. So instead of having this one video that fits all, every single touch point has a video. Now, that video needs to be in the language of their audience across every single touch point. And when I say language, I don't mean script. What I'm talking about is the device, the channel, the aspect ratios, the duration of the video, nine seconds on Facebook, 30 seconds on YouTube. They're all different. And you need to know this if you've got money to spend. Otherwise, you're going to waste your money. Visual style and be real and open. So consumers now don't want Hollywood videos. What they want is they want to feel like I'm engaged. If I want a Hollywood video, 
watch the James Bond movie and buy from that because that's that's the future. But right now, if you're going to talk to people, they want someone that they can relate to and then engage with them and deliver content in multiple formats. So don't make one video and expect people to watch it in that aspect ratio. If it's a younger audience that are watching on a mobile phone, make it a vertical video. If you're not sure what to do, at least make it a square video because that plays well across all devices. But really, if you want to win, make it device specific, speak the language of the people that are your viewers. And that language is channel specific. Is it going to be Facebook? Is it going to be Twitter? Is it going to be Instagram? They're all different. You need to talk their language, otherwise the video won't have any impact either. So if you've got money to spend, spend it wisely. I'd like to say a massive thank you to John for coming on the show and sharing that excellent conversation with me. John is a visionary. If you need to talk to somebody about interactive video, you should definitely be talking to him. Those are two incredible conversations today with two of my favorite people. So thank you to John and thank you to Rupert for your time and coming on the show. And my key takeaways from the episode today, you know, despite the fact that video content makes up so much of the internet already, And, of course, there's only going to be more coming. I think video is going to get more and more important as it evolves with time. I certainly love using video. It's a great way of communicating. Uh, Almost as good as audio, like this. Um, Of course, video does demand a little bit more attention than audio, but but it's so engaging and it's it's such a great uh, communication tool. And I think interactive video is going to change the way we consume content. But it is a new frontier. You know, there's, despite the fact that we're experimenting with it still, I think there's so much opportunity when it comes to sales, customer retention, and also training. Moreover, I think professionals and businesses, they need to consider where they're posting, which platform they're using, and of course, which device the person's going to watch on. So it's not just what you're consuming. We all tend to get carried away with the production quality of the video that we're using. Like, is it, have I got Handshake or am I using a gimbal? You know, particularly if, if you're producing your own videos. So it's not just what you're consuming, the quality of the content, but it's how you're consuming it. And that's something that's really important if you don't want to get lost in the noise. So with all that in mind, I think the key to great content for businesses is the same as it is always. You have to be straightforward, you have to be simple, you have to keep your message to the point and always be communicating the thing that makes you as a business and you as a person special. And if you do that, you'll resonate with someone. Some things, that just don't change. Quality will always out. Either way, whichever way you look at it, when it comes to video, the future looks exciting. Next week on the podcast, I'm going to be speaking to Dan Ellis, Managing Director at Orchid. And I'm speaking to audio producer Harry Radcliffe. In the episode, I learn how voice is unlocking barriers for disadvantaged people. I get a grasp on how noise and sound can influence the mind and our emotions. And I learn while we're entering an age of audio. We will see you there. I am deeply grateful to you for listening to this episode of Marketing Trek. I know your time is extraordinarily precious because mine is too, but I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, I would be very grateful if you would please subscribe on one of your favorite channel is, but I'd be even more grateful if you'd write us a review. If you don't want to do that publicly, you can find me on LinkedIn. My name is Dom Hawes at Selby Anderson. Please send me a connection request and please send me a message and I would be delighted to receive feedback, both good and bad. 
This podcast was recorded at Terminal Studios. You can find that at terminalstudios.co.uk. And the show was produced by Selby Anderson. You can find us at selbyanderson.com. Thank you.